Welcome to this episode of Lil Dude's Insect Academy, where we discover more about the extremely diverse world of entomology with your host, Brayden Coy. Alright guys, so get excited for this episode. It is a really great conversation. This was literally one of the most bizarre episodes I ever recorded so far. Um, and it was about a, a, a topic that I didn't really know much about yet. And so I hope you guys enjoy learning a lot alongside me. Because um, I didn't actually know much about this topic beforehand. And so, yeah, I really learned a lot from this episode. So I hope you guys do too. Also, um, I noticed that some of you guys might be new to this this. Uh, podcast. So if you are new, welcome. Um, I'm so happy to see you here. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, Let's just get right into it. All right, guys. So I am here with Jonathan Uriel, and I'm super excited about our talk today. Um, I He has not been on the show before, but um, I think it'll be super interesting about what he does and for you guys to learn about him. So guys, welcome to the show, Jonathan. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me on. This is uh, really exciting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm really excited too. So, uh, if you, Jonathan, if you if you can just uh, sort of introduce yourself to my uh, viewers, that would be really awesome. Um, and sort of tell people uh, t- tell them about a little bit what you've done in the past, and then we'll sort of you know jump into some other things. Sounds good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my name is Jonathan. I uh, am an entomologist. I recently finished a master's degree. Uh, uh, I guess in my time uh, at university as an undergrad and a master's student, I uh, worked on a bunch of different entomology-related projects. Okay. Uh, my most recent one was with uh, aphids, and I kind of delved into uh, genomics. I did some genome sequencing. But, oh, interesting. Uh, past work has in- included uh, like insect microbe uh, symbiosis and mm. uh, pollinator ecology. So I've kind of like jumped around all yeah. over the place. Yeah, and now that I finished my master's, I'm I'm waiting to jump onto the next thing, whatever that may be. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, yeah, I guess this is sort of an off time to sort of figure out what you want to do. But um, tell us a little bit more about your master's that you just uh, you just finished up. Sure. Yeah. So I worked with aphids. Uh, you know, anyone who's done any any kind of gardening has has battled with yeah. aphids in the past. Tiny, very tiny little uh, sap-sucking insects. Mm-hmm. A huge problem in agriculture, especially greenhouse agriculture. Uh, and in, so I'm in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I live in uh, uh, Vancouver. In, in British Columbia, in agriculture, uh, one, there's, there was a really, really big push in the past 20, 30 years towards greenhouse agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can grow more year-round. You can grow a wider variety of foods. Um, you can do kind of what's called boutique farming, mm, where you okay. grow a, a smaller number of uh, higher-value crops, like things like wasabi. Mm. Um, and in greenhouses... Pest management looks very different from in field crops uh, because it's more of thing, a because it's more of a tropical environment sort of situation. Kind of, yeah, and also because everything is contained inside the greenhouse, right? Oh, so, yeah. For example, if you want to spray pesticides, you have to keep into account that the wind isn't going to carry them away. Uh, they're going to stay on the crops for a lot longer, and that can have um, pretty serious ramifications uh, when it Mm. comes to like selling and processing those crops. Interesting. So in greenhouses, uh, most people, instead of using chemical pesticides, rely on uh, what we call biocontrols, which is using natural predators and pathogens and Mm. parasites 
uh, to control insects. So uh, in my master's, I worked not only on aphids, but on a, uh, an aphid biocontrol agent, a parasitoid wasp, um, just a commercial parasitoid, which you can buy. There are companies that will sell you you know, uh, thousands of little wasps, they will mail them really? to you in a little jar. Yeah, wow. and then you can just open that and leave it in your greenhouse and they'll, they'll uh, fly around. Um, and so I was looking at, but one kind of interesting question, or I thought it was interesting. Well, the question yeah. I had at the start of my master's was, so you have this kind of semi-natural system mm -hmm. where you have a natural parasitoid <clears throat> and a, a, a crop pest, you know, typically with chemical pesticides, the crop pest either dies or it doesn't. It's, it, it's either resistant to the pesticide or it isn't. But if yeah. you have a, a, a natural, more natural system, you can have a kind of a multi-generational push and pull between uh, the biocontrol and the pest. And so you can have something that kind of looks like uh, evolution on a really, really small scale happening. Hmm. Um, and uh, aphids are really very adaptive. We know that even within a few generations in an uh, uh, enclosed environment, they can adapt to stress very quickly. And so the central question mm -hmm. of my master's is how do aphids adapt to this biological control agent? And does that have potential uh, consequences for growers who want to rely on biocontrols? Okay. Yeah. So when you say multiple generations, how, I mean, really, how long is that? Right. Probably yeah. not very long, right? Yeah, one of the great advantages of working with aphids is a, a, a single generation is only a couple weeks. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. From the time they're born, uh, it takes maybe about eight days for them to reach adulthood in this oh, wow. specific species that I, I worked with. And then the adults um, immediately start reproducing, uh, and they can do that for up to three weeks. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's really that, that's probably why they spread so fast too in your garden. Absolutely. Yeah. So aphids actually are are asexual or they can oh. reproduce sexually, but more often than not, they just clone themselves. Interesting. And so, okay. Yeah, it's it's really cool. One kind of fun fact that that I really like is because they clone themselves, the the only thing that's limiting the reproduction is is how quickly and how much space in their bodies they can devote to ovaries. Uh, and mm. aphids are really mostly ovary. They actually start developing their ovaries while they're still inside the the mother's uh ovary right really so aph aphids really? are are technically pregnant with their own granddaughters <laughs> the it's, it's called a telescoping generation and very interesting yeah that allows them to reproduce just like like nothing that's i did not know that mm -hmm. i mean I, i'm i don't really know much about aphids just in general but i'm sure i'll, I'll learn a lot so yeah well, they're small enough that most people <clears throat> can afford to ignore them but but you know it it really pays closer inspection they're a fascinating group hmm. okay well so how many how many species of aphid are there oh hmm. that's a very good question i want to say off the top of my head around five thousand. really uh, which is not a huge number Mm -hmm. uh, when you compare it to like other groups of insects, like like beetles or, or yeah. flies or whatever, um, yeah, uh, they're found pretty much all over the world. They're uh, plant parasites, really, more than mm -hmm. herbivores. Um, they uh, and a lot of aphids are host specific, so uh, this kind of aphid only feeds on this kind of plant, right? Exactly. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and so they they tend to be geographically very closely tied or you know, 100% tied to their, their host plant. Um, but some aphids, especially the ones who are really bad crop pests, uh, can have multiple hosts and jump between hosts. Mm -hmm. So those are the ones that you really got to look out for. 
Yeah, yeah. So are all the species pretty much the same from the outside and basically the same size, or are there uh, different uh, variations between them? That is a very good question. Most aphids, yeah, all aphids have the same basic body plan. They all feed in the same way. Some of them have very highly adapted lifestyles. Uh, so the aphids that you and I can see every day when we walk around outside, um, just feed on the outside of plants. They walk around. Sometimes they have wings, sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. But there are aphids that uh, produce what are called galls on plants. So uh, in their feeding, they inject hormones into the plants and it causes uh, extra growth to grow on the outside of plant stems hmm. um, or like in the, in the, the nooks between leaves. Uh, and those kind of, they make these basically big hollow chambers on the plants they feed on and then they live inside those galls. Um, and so th- those aphids are pretty highly specialized. Hmm. Uh, yeah. And then like one group that I'm kind of, interested in on the side are uh, mm-hmm. conifer aphids, aphids okay. that feed on big uh, like evergreen trees. Because they feed on these evergreen trees, uh, they're, they have to be bigger, sturdier, tougher. They, their mouth, mouth parts literally need to be harder to pierce the, the harder kind the of trees. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so they're, by aphid standpoints, they're huge. They're like half a centimeter <laughs> long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and they they have a really interesting uh, life cycle because they live on on conifer trees. But but generally, yeah, uh, it's it's all in the details. Uh, most aphids are the same. Huh. Well, yeah, I'm learning a whole lot. I I really didn't know much about aphids. So um, so Jonathan, where did you um, where did you go to school? Uh, so I guess I just finished my master's at Simon Fraser University, which okay. is in Burnaby, uh, mm-hmm. which is right next to Vancouver in British Columbia. I also did my undergrad there. I did uh, an undergrad in uh, biochemistry, believe it or not. Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I, I grew up uh, in the Fraser Valley, so only about, about an hour east of Vancouver. So I'm a local guy. <laughs> yeah, so... So uh, you mentioned, you mentioned something caught my ear earlier. Um, you mentioned doing stuff with genes. Was that with aphids in particular, or right. sort of so entomology that, in general? That that was uh, specifically to do with aphids. So as part of my master's thesis, my my master's thesis have had uh, two research chapters. The first mm-hmm. one was what I was describing earlier with uh, looking at. Uh, evolution in this kind of push-pull between aphids and this parasitoid. The second chapter, uh, I sequenced the genome of this species of aphid. So that 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 was kind of a like a almost a one-off project that got tacked on to the end of my master's. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so that kind of comes from my atypical uh, kind of educational path. Like I said, my undergrad was in biochemistry and also molecular biology. So a lot of genetics, genomics uh, hmm. in there, and that got me really interested in that field. Um, and I think, especially when it comes to applied entomology, like entomology that's applied to like agriculture yeah. and, and human health and stuff, people are very interested in, in genomes and genomics and genetics and what it can tell us about insects. Mm-hmm. And so that project was kind of a way for me to break into that uh, and see like, oh, could I, could I continue working in this, in this kind of field? Um, and yeah, so I think it worked so, out. Well. So from a... So from a literal, <clears throat> sorry, so from a literal standpoint, like what did that actually look like in the lab? Were you like, I don't know, blending up aphids and stuff and like yeah, squishing actually, them? Yeah, actually, and- yes. <laughs> um, so that, yeah, that's a good question. 
sequencing a genome, the, the actual sequencing part just happens in a big machine, you know, these, these huge sequencing machines. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the way they work on the inside, I don't know if we have time to get into it because it's kind of complicated. Yeah, um, that's okay. But, yeah, it's it's a extremely high tech, uh, lots of re- ex- super fine engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we're talking about like metal plates with holes in them, pores in them that are just big enough for a single strand of DNA to go into, right? Uh, wow. So it's super super fine machines, super mm-hmm. cool. Um, I didn't actually operate a sequencing machine because we didn't have one uh, at at SFU, uh, Simon Fraser University. Not not mm-hmm. the sequencing machine that I needed. So I collaborated with a, a, a group in Arizona, actually, the Arizona Genomics Institute at Arizona State University. Um, yeah. Because uh, so my... they, they had a machine, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. They, they had the machine. So they're the ones who are doing all the actual, like, transferring those little DNA bits. Uh, I shipped them aphids on dry ice, and they, they gave me the, um, the output of the machine back. I, I, I just downloaded it from, a, like, a file transfer server. Wow. Uh, and then my job at the end of that is to, so you mentioned uh, blending up the DNA. That is mm-hmm. pretty much exactly what happens. DNA extraction is a really messy process. And it, it the DNA gets kind of like broken and randomly fragmented into millions mm-hmm. of little pieces. And it's that kind of confetti that you put into the sequencing machine. And so the the hard part <laughs> or the most time consuming part of the genome sequencing process is at the end of that, so the machine sequences each of those little randomly fragmented bits, uh, mm-hmm. and you need to afterwards take all of those random fragments and try and reorder them, reorganize them into something that looks like a genome. It's kind of like trying to reconstruct a document that's been through a paper shredder, uh, mm-hmm. but you don't have a copy of the original document, so you don't know what it's oh. supposed to look like in the first place. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so. that that seems really time-consuming. It is, yeah. It, I mean, it's all... that part of it is all done with supercomputers. So it uh, might seem kind of weird, but a lot of what I do right now as a biologist involves coding. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, writing programs and stuff. Interesting. Wow, there, there's just a lot of parts. And then you you were the one that went out and actually collected the aphids, right? How many did you have to collect? Right. So the aphids all came from a lab colony, uh, which is the same lab oh, colony okay. that I used for my research. Yeah. One of the great things about aphids is they're super easy to maintain in a colony, again, because they reproduce asexually. Mm-hmm. You just give them food and they make more aphids. <laughs> Not yeah. that complicated. Yeah. Um, and we've had this, uh, one of my supervisors, thesis supervisors, has had a lab colony going. It's been around for almost 20 years. Uh, very, very well studied, well established aphid colony. So that was kind of easy. I just went mm-hmm. in and picked off, I think, 800 individual aphids. I needed to get oh my gosh. one, I needed like 150 milligrams or something of aphids in order to get enough tissue to get enough DNA from to put in the sequencing machine. And that worked oh, out man. to uh, around 1,000 aphids. <laughs> that is crazy. So you're just sort of just picking them off or the shaking brush. them? Yes. Oh, a paintbrush. Okay. Yeah, individually. Wow, that is that just seems so tedious to me. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yes. Yeah, it is. Fine motor skills. Uh, I My hands are a little bit shaky, so that was actually very difficult. <laughs> yeah. Getting individual aphids, but that's fine. Just took Man. time. Got to be patient. I mean, working with insects in general always takes a certain amount of patience. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Definitely. Um, so, Jonathan, where, uh, how did you get originally interested in entomology? 
Um, I've always been interested in insects. Uh, I think as kids, uh, like, you know, nerdy kids, there's always kind of like gateways into science. Some kids get really into marine biology. Some kids get really into space yeah. or dinosaurs. Yeah. I liked all of those things. Dinosaurs are great. Um, but bugs was my gateway and I never really fell off that, that wagon. Um, ever since I was like, I don't know, around your age, actually, I knew that I wanted to, to be an entomologist or, you know, I was going to try and figure out what that, that meant, how to actually work with insects as a job. Um, yeah. And I'm here to say it's pretty great. <laughs> I yeah. encourage, encourage uh, anyone who's interested to do that. Uh, That's you know, really cool. Even if they're not like 10 or 11 years old, even if you're like, you know, you're in your 20s, you're in your 30s and you're mm -hmm. like, oh, entomology seems pretty cool. Maybe I should do that. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Great time. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like me too. I'm basically the same way. I've always been interested also. So um, who, um, who is your biggest inspiration? Who do you look up to? Wow. Um, that's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, early on in my uh, kind of academic career, there mm -hmm. were two scientists who made really big impressions on me. Uh, the first was Dr. Gail Anderson, who I know you had on the show. Oh yeah, yep. She's a forensic entomologist. She also works at Simon Fraser University. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was a kid, she would do these outreach tours at local libraries. So she would go and give talks. And I, I, I went and I saw, saw that talk maybe, I don't know, half a dozen times. Wow. Um, yeah, she is like a pioneer in the field. Uh, Forensic entomology at the time when she started was not a very well, uh, like established, out, yeah, not yeah. a very well established field. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was coming into it from uh, veterinary science, right? So, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she really laid a lot of the groundwork and did a lot of really foundational stuff. And I think that's like she's a, a really driven person and a very passionate person. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've always been uh, kind of inspired by that. Yeah. So, uh, to, person, sorry. Uh, to be clear, it you don't have to actually know them, by the way. So you can oh, yeah. like, say people <laughs> like some people say Steve Irwin, right? Um, yeah. I, I I guess I um I, I never had cable as a kid. Didn't really okay. Grow up yeah. watching a lot of TV, and so a lot of the like celebrity biologists. I only started to get to know them, uh, kind of in like high school, late high school, like um David Attenborough, and oh yeah, Wilson and all those people. Um, and they're great. Uh, they're really cool. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, but, but I wouldn't say they had the biggest influence on my life. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The other person who had a really big influence on me was Dr. Dave Gillespie, um, who's, uh, he's uh, retired now, uh, but he mm -hmm. uh, was for his whole career, uh, a research scientist with Agriculture Canada. Um, and he worked in biocontrols. Uh, so, you know, he was kind of the, the inspiration for my master's project. Um, and when I was in high school, I, uh, actually my dad, <laughs> um, reached out to him and was like, Hey, my son is uh, really interested in entomology. Could we get a tour of your lab? And then I ended up volunteering for him for a summer as oh, wow. like a, a, a field assistant. Um, and that wow. really like cemented my, uh, love for, for insects and my love for insect research. Um, and so he was a huge influence to me. Uh, growing up and kind of having the privilege of being able to visit uh, and and talk to him and be in the lab um, really uh, kind of set set the stage for where I am now in my career. Very cool. Very cool. So um, 
one of the questions that I really enjoy, um, I guess, asking um, my uh, the people I interview is, um, what are some other hobbies that you might enjoy? They don't have to be related to this at all. So just some other things you like to do in your spare time, I guess. Yeah, no, that's important. Um, yeah, definitely. Everyone's got to have a hobby. I think especially mm-hmm. having just come out of grad school, that's something that can consume your entire life. You have to, you have to be able to step away yeah. at least a couple, a couple evenings every week. Um, mm-hmm. So I, uh, I, I guess a, a couple hobbies, I, I really like biking. Um, I just okay. came off of a, a week-long, well, it was a five-day bike trip um, on Vancouver Island and up, up the, the Sunshine Coast. That was super fun. Um, it's a great way to work off steam, uh, mm-hmm. and it gets you places, you know, it's, uh, yeah, unlike yeah. other forms of exercise, it's, it can be productive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's fun. I also play music. Uh, I, uh, volunteer with a, uh, music nonprofit society here in Vancouver, the Open Air Orchestra Society. Oh, very cool. We administrate a, a number of community music programs, uh, mm. like the Vancouver Carnival Band. I, and I play in the Vancouver Carnival Band. I'm a clarinetist. Very cool. That's awesome. All right. So um, one of, uh, I guess, one of our last questions, we're going to sort of wrap it up. Um, if I mean, if you want to talk about anything else, but um, what do you want to do in the future? Like, do you know what your plan might be? Want some, maybe some cool projects that you want to try out or um, something cool you want to do? Uh, yeah, uh, right. I guess we, we kind of touched on this at the start of the mm-hmm. interview, but now is a bit of a precarious time to be entering the workforce. Definitely. Uh, on the one hand, <clears throat> you know, there are a lot of really great research programs out there and a lot of really good PhD programs and a lot of labs that are uh, doing really fascinating work that I'm interested in. On the other uh, hand, um, I guess in the short term, I have to think about, you know, what does moving to a new place for work look like? How feasible mm-hmm. is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I join a lab that does a lot of field biology, well, what does field biology look like now in the time of, you know, COVID and social distancing and everything? Yeah, so that's, Certainly that's been kind of heavy on my mind. But if we're talking more kind of on an abstract level about what kind of work do I want to do, mm-hmm. um, I I'm ha- I have a little hard time narrowing that down, but I know I want to stay within applied biology, uh, mm-hmm. applied entomology. So like insects intersect with our lives at so many different points, right? Like they pollinate yeah. our crops, they mm-hmm. eat our crops, they transmit mm-hmm. <clears throat> diseases. And so the the study of insects as they apply to human life, I think is really super fascinating. There's so many angles from which to approach it from. You can do it from a pure research standpoint, but there's also, especially if you're looking at things like uh, like biological control or disease ecology. Mm-hmm. There's all of the economic and sociological factors to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, if you want to encourage farmers to use biocontrol, you have to keep in mind that pesticides are still the cheapest way for them to do it. And so yeah, that was, that was kind of one of the, the reasons why I started my this work in my master's. I was like, well, you know, let's try and make biocontrol as efficient as possible to try and make it the to make it an easier sell, right, to farmers because they're still, you know, trying to make money and and trying to run a business. Um, And so I think research with that kind of focus uh, is something that I can really sink my teeth into. Um, Mm -hmm. Having kind of the the human aspects behind behind things is really important to me. Uh, So that that is a direction in which I'd like to to continue moving in the future. But definitely specifically, I'm going to land. I have no idea. Huh. 
Okay, very interesting. Is there, did I happen to forget, uh, did I happen to forget anything that you might have done that you wanted to talk about or? No, I think it's been pretty comprehensive. Uh, we've touched all the, the key points. <laughs> all right. Very cool, Jonathan. Uh, so is there any place, uh, so this is kind of how I like to wrap it up. So um, is, there, is there any place that me or my viewers can go to uh, learn about the work you're doing, um, maybe social media, website, whatever? Is there sure. uh, just a place for us to go, I guess? Yeah, I do not have a website. I probably should, um, but uh, I do have a Twitter Twitter account. I'm at okay. snoozreel. That's S-N-O-O-Z-R-I-E-L. Uh, and I don't, I don't just post about my work there. I post about all sorts of stuff. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. if you want to, if you have any questions, uh, you and your viewers, that's a, a great, easy way to get in touch with me. Just Yeah, um, definitely hop into my uh, private messages there. Yeah. Um, you can also, uh, I don't know if you have like show notes, but but if you, you can put my email I do. in the show yep. notes if people have questions, uh, I'd be happy to, to talk to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll, uh, guys, I'll definitely put all the, um, his Twitter link and his uh, email down in um, the description of this, uh, this episode. And um, yeah, definitely go check out that if you guys have any questions about like, I don't know, aphids or something cool like that, that uh, Jonathan has worked on in the past. Um, if, yeah, if you guys have any questions about aphids or anything like that, definitely go um, follow him and uh, follow along with what he's working on. So yeah, I had a great time, uh, Jonathan. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And yeah, thanks for inviting me. This is fun. Definitely. Yeah, so thank you so much. Um, yeah, I think it turned out great. If you enjoyed this episode of Little Dudes Insect Academy, then consider subscribing to my channel and sharing this episode with one of your friends. You can even support me financially through my Patreon, which has a link in the description. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep on bugging.